Welcome to Big Valley Grace Community Church here on the Modesto campus. Welcome to everyone who's joining us right now live on our online campus. Uh, it's a great day to come to worship Jesus Christ together as a church family and, and to be in community as we do that. Thank you, brother. And we've been in a series in the Gospel of Matthew in June and July together as a church family. And I want to encourage you to read the Gospel of Matthew this summer. If you want to use the reading plan that we've provided, you, there's bookmarks available in the information center here on the Modesto campus, or you can download the reading plan online. And if you're just starting with us right now, we've been reading about three chapters of the week. Double up, all right? Do six chapters a week. We'll all end at the same time, all right? But this is a great opportunity to know what does the Gospel of Matthew say that you would know, you would have read it for yourself. What does the Gospel of Matthew say? In addition to that, I've asked our teaching team in each of these weeks, so we're looking at these three-chapter hunks every week, pick one passage from those three chapters from the reading plan that will be edifying for our church family at this time. What does our church family need to hear? What does this local body of believers need to hear from God's word from this portion of these chapters of Matthew? Because we want to build one another up right here at Big Valley Grace Community Church. And I've done the same thing which is why we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18 today. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 20. And it's all about restoring relationships. It's all about the process that Jesus invites. It's really a story that he invites us into that we might have our relationships be restored. And before we get into the text, I want to talk about our culture here for a moment because I want you to imagine and really acknowledge maybe what you see in our culture how you see our culture dealing with issues. I'm gonna prompt you with some entities. How do you see our government deal with issues? How do you see politicians deal with issues? How do you see, you know, multi-million, billion-dollar corporations dealing with issues in corporate America? How do you see... Famous people, movie stars, how do you see them dealing with issues that are in their life? How about professional athletes? How do you see them dealing with issues? What are the words that come to your mind when I prompt you with that as we observe in our culture entities dealing with issues? I'll share with you some that came to my mind. Attack, slander, discredit, Cancel, destroy. It reminds me of what Jesus says is the job description of the thief. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And when I look at how our world is dealing when there's issues, it reminds me of the thief. And we're to be different. The body of Christ is to be different, which is why in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Jesus says, or through Paul, through the Holy Spirit, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not let your life be pressed into the mold of how this culture deals with issues. We're to be different. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter writes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are chosen we're chosen people by God. We have been picked by God to be separate, to be different. Amen. We should not look like the world. 
When the world looks at our church, looks at our relationships with one another, they should say, wow, there is something different. That group of people is different. Jesus says, by this, all men, the world, all men, the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. That's John 13, 35. So when we get into this passage, it's on the heart of Jesus for us as a church family that we would work to have good relationship with one another. And when things are crummy and things get difficult and there's unhealth, that we would take the steps that are needed to restore relationship. And what Jesus lays out in this passage, he explains four steps. It is so very clear what Jesus does. He explains four steps to take in restoring relationships. And he shares this like a story. Sometimes Jesus shares stories and they're about a specific you know, person in history. It's an actual situation that took place. Sometimes he shares parables and they're stories that have a principle to teach. What Jesus does in this passage is he shares a story, but it is so broad that we can all immediately fit into it right from the beginning of the story as he unpacks it. You know, the biggest threat to restoring relationships is not starting the process that Jesus lays out here. 100% of people who don't start the process to restore relationships 100% of them don't finish the process to restore relationships. 100% of people who don't restore relationships fail in their relationships. And Jesus is saying, I'm welcoming you into a story. It's my story, it's your story. And I I want you to come be with me in this. Step one, it's the hardest part. Step one is go to the person. When you have an issue with a brother in Christ or you have an issue with a sister in Christ, Jesus very clearly at the beginning of this passage says go to the person. This is about praying and then going and having a conversation with that individual alone. It's not a suggestion. What Jesus gives here in this passage is a command to go, to go to the person. And it's the hardest step because avoidance seems so much nicer. Oh, I, uh, that's just that person. Oh, I don't have time. Oh, I don't want to deal with it. I don't have you know, room for that in my life. Whatever excuses, we think avoidance will be easier. But Jesus is calling us to have relationships that are good with one another. In verse 15 of Matthew chapter 18, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So Jesus enters us into a story that immediately we can all relate to. If your brother sins against you, that's not if and it might happen. That's if and it's going to happen. Plan for this moment. Why? Well, because I'm prone to sin and you're prone to sin. And as the body of Christ, we're prone to sin and we're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. And he's helping us understand when this story is your story, which it is for all of us. When this story is your story, here's what you do. If your brother, very specifically it says brother, and this does not mean familial sibling. This is family of God, okay? So in John chapter one, verse 12, it says that all who believe in him, who receive him, have the right to become children of God. And that is what we are in Christ. We are children of God. So he's speaking to us as a family. 
of family relationships. If your brother sins, very important that he's using the word sins. Sin is falling short of the perfect standard of almighty sovereign God. In Romans chapter three, it says, for all have sinned and we all fall short of the standard, the perfect, the glory of God. We've all sinned. We're all in the same boat. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so we all enter into this process as people who have fallen short of the glory and are needing the grace of God. So we don't enter into this process arrogantly. We don't enter into it proud. We don't enter into it rude. We don't enter into this process to heap more offense and just make the situation worse. We recognize that we're brothers, we're family, we're sisters, we're family, and their sin is falling short. Now, what's also important about sin here is this is not about if your brother has a different opinion than you or if your brother has a different preference than you. This is about sin. So let's keep it there. If your brother sins against you, it's very personal. It's about if your brother sins against you. It's not if your brother sins against another person. This is about if your brother sins against you. He's laying out very specific situation, and guess what? Even with the specific nature of those first six words, if your brother sins against you, every follower of Jesus in this room understands this situation, because we've all been in it. Every one of us has either been the person that's been sinned against, or we've been the person that has sinned against someone else. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're gonna learn a lot about what God wants for the followers of Jesus, of how they should treat one another. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. I love that it says go and tell him. I guarantee there is somebody actually in this room right now that I have sinned against you and, you don't even, and I don't even know I did it. I'm positive. Someone's watching online right now. I've sinned against you and I don't even know I did it. I'm positive. I'm not that smart. I need you to sometimes come tell me, hey, you sinned against me. Oh, you know what? Thank you. I didn't even realize, because I can sin and not mean it to be you know, against a person, but I still hurt somebody. Wow, you gotta go and you gotta tell them. Don't assume everybody knows everything, because we don't. We're not God. So you go, it doesn't mean you go beat the person up, go tell him. It doesn't say go attack the person, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. This is meant to be private, between you and the person who sinned against you. It's a private conversation. I think this is an incredible picture of Jesus explaining how we care for one another in the body. In Galatians chapter six, verse one, it says, if someone sins, you who are spiritual, you're gonna go and restore the person in a spirit of gentleness. This is about care for the body. If you have a sore on your body in a location you don't want anyone to see, would you take a picture of that sore and post it on social media? Would you write a description of that sore and post it on social media? Why in the world, when there's a blemish, there's a sore, there's a place of disease or a place of sin in the body of Christ, would you wanna broadcast that publicly to the world? This is about caring for the very body that you are a part of as a brother or a sister. And so he says, go and tell the person his fault between you and him alone. And guess what? If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. It could be the story ends right there and it's a beautiful ending. It could be that step one accomplishes the result that needed and relationships restored. This is a two-way gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, that we're all a part of the same body. One member suffers, we all suffer. One member rejoices, we all rejoice. 
Man, if resolution and reconciliation is brought in this moment, we all win because health is brought to the body. And Jesus is saying, I'm trying to help you understand when your story is this story, and it will be, or it has been, or it is right now, when this story is your story, this is how you take a step towards health. Step one is go to the person. Step two is go to the person with another believer. So this is praying, then having the conversation with the individual and bringing one or two others along with you. So in verse 16, it says, but if he does not listen. So Jesus is saying, step one, this is the first part of the story, and it could be you bring resolution, and it's great. But if it doesn't work, Jesus is not a quitter. Jesus doesn't give up. He says, I got another option for you. If he does not listen, okay, now we have a second option. Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So it says take one or two others along with you. I think there's a reason for this. I think there's multiple reasons. But I think one of the reasons is accountability. You've already had the opportunity to go have a private conversation with somebody and it didn't work. Don't think that going and doing it again is gonna bring a different result. It's probably not gonna work again. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you need some help. So you're gonna have one or two other believers along with you. And I think accountability is important here for a number of reasons. One, accountability that you are saying the charges you're saying and the person is hearing the charges that you're bringing against them. That the sin is being vocalized out loud. I think it's important that there's accountability in that. Another thing I think is important that there's accountability is how you said it, right? Are you being gracious? Are you being loving? Are you being truthful? Are you being forgiving? What's the way in which you do it? Man, I think this is a great that Jesus goes, hey, let's have one or two other believers with you in that moment. It's gonna bring accountability. It's gonna bring health to this moment. It's really, really good. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Every charge. I've had people come to me. This is about specific accusations. I've had people come to me and they got a laundry list. They're like, pastor, let me tell you about the devil. This person did these 10 things wrong to me and these 10 things wrong to me and these 10, and man, they got a list of 30 things. Wow. They're like, come on, pastor, excommunicate them already. I'm like, hold up, man. Can we just calm down here for a second? Give me one. Let's start with one charge. What's one specific accusation? Okay, you got it? Okay, show me the proof. Show me the facts. Outline for me what you have to prove that this took place. It's amazing how people's laundry list of accusations against another person get whittled down to something pretty simple when you just ask, can you show me the facts, please? That every charge may be established by the evidence. This is about specific, maybe it's, you know, it's not people that are the evidence, it's inanimate objects. You know, you have something that proves that this has happened. Well, maybe you don't. And thus, even more important, that you have two or three witnesses. And the question you have to ask is, if I don't have like some kind of physical evidence that this happened or whatever, do I have people who saw it happen? Is there another believer who saw this happen? Are there two other witnesses that saw this happen? And that should make you think about who you bring with you, right? Because in step two, if you're gonna go to this person, you're gonna bring one or two other people. Man, it makes sense to bring the people who saw the sin take place. Because Jesus is very interested in the truth being established. What's the truth about the situation? That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, we gotta be careful in this moment because we do not wanna confuse feelings for facts. Feelings and facts are not the same thing, just like 
You know, opinions and sin are not the same thing, or preference and sin are not the same thing. We gotta be careful about feelings. And I'll just talk about me, okay? Maybe you don't struggle. So we'll just make the struggle. I'll hold the struggle for us today, all right? I have done this before where I have one detail. There's 100 details that make up 100% of the truth. I have one detail. But because I'm hurt, because I'm offended, because I'm in a bad mood or I don't like somebody or whatever, you know what I do? I fill in 99 worst-case scenario details to make up the whole. And when I do that, I assume the worst. So I'm like, this person's horrible. I got this one thing, right? Oh, let me imagine the worst case scenario. Yes, yes, they are evil. <laughs> and you know what? That makes me feel so good when I assume the worst about somebody else for a moment till I re realize I'm a jerk. <laughs> I've had people do that to me. They come in, they got one detail. I mean, they oh, assume the worst case scenario of the other 99% of the situation. Well, what, what facts do you have? What? It's amazing how things get cleared up. And I'm guilty of that, that's wrong. It's wrong for me to do that. That's not, that is not being like Jesus when I do that. You see, because Jesus, he's 100% gracious in every encounter. And Jesus is 100% truthful in every encounter. And Jesus is 100% loving in every encounter. And Jesus is 100% forgiving in every encounter. It's amazing. And that's the model I wanna be like. I wanna be like him when dealing with issues with my brothers and my sisters in Christ. So step one is go to the person. If that doesn't work, Jesus invites us into the next part of the story. Step two, go to the person with another believer or two other believers for the purpose that these charges might be established by the evidence with two or three witnesses. Now, step three, go to the person with church leadership. Pray, then submit to the leadership of the church to facilitate a conversation between you and the individual. In verse 17, it says, if he refuses to listen to them. So Jesus is saying, when you did step two and you went to the person with one or two other believers for the purpose of establishing every charge by the evidence of two or three witnesses and that didn't work, now I'm giving you a third option. And that third option is simply tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. That word church there means the, you know, the called out ones. That's the local assembly of the body of Christ. So this is not public tell it to the world, but it is public tell it to the church. That is still pretty public, tell it to the church. Now, because of the way this is worded, every church kind of does this differently. There's different ways that this can go about being done that I think fit underneath what this text is communicating. And my job today is not to explain to you how everybody else does it. But I do wanna share with you, what do we do at Big Valley Grace Community Church? How does the leadership of this church handle step three in this process? In the Bible, the term pastor and elder is the same term. Now, at Big Valley Grace Community Church, we use the terms a little distinctly just for the purpose of identifying some teams. We have a pastoral team and we have a board of elders team and we've given unique roles and responsibilities for practical ministry to those teams. But that's the same, that's the same biblical role. A pastor elder is the same thing. And at Big Valley Grace Community Church, if this a process of restoration with a person comes to step three, the way that we're obedient to the phrase, tell it to the church, the way we handle that in our leadership is we deal with that just on our pastoral team and just in our board of elders team. That is the group that we use 
to deal with issues when it comes to step three of this process. And that's how we're obedient to Jesus Christ and we take it very seriously. That we will be obedient to Jesus Christ in the phrase, tell it to the church. Now, there are times when things do need to be public because maybe there's been a public offense. And because there's been a public offense, a public confession would really match that. Or maybe there's been a leadership offense and a leadership confession would really match that. And so there are times when there's gonna be public confession regarding sin. But that doesn't mean that somebody's necessarily in step three of this process because uh, there could have been a public offense or a leadership offense and the Holy Spirit of God worked in somebody's life and they said, wow, I need to repent of my sin and I need to go before my church family and ask for forgiveness. I have publicly offended my church family, I need to publicly confess. Or a leader says, wow, you know, God's worked in my life, I've, I've sinned, what I did was wrong, I need, to, I need to ask for forgiveness for my church family. Just because there's a public confession doesn't mean somebody is necessarily in step three of this process. Now also, people try to make me or our pastoral team or our board of elders team their step one in this process. Where the first thing they do is they bypass step one and they bypass step two and they come to the pastoral team or they come to the board of elders team. And I just wanna be really clear. Great, come to us. Here's what we're gonna ask you. Have you gone to the person? The pastoral team and the board of elders team at Big Valley Grace Community Church is going to expect that we will walk through this passage in obedience together when there's an issue. So we will direct back to the beginning of this passage and say, let's start from the beginning. Let's start where it's hardest. And let's, let's see if we can't become obedient to Christ together in this situation. And so you can expect that's what's gonna happen when you come to us. And we will learn obedience to Christ together. So step three, go to the person with church leadership. And really in step three, you know, step one, it didn't work on your own. And you brought a couple other people with you and it didn't work and you're asking the church leadership for help. So really in step three, you're kind of handing a baton to the church leadership and say, hey, I need you guys to you know, run this leg of the race for me. And I'm trying, I'm praying, but I, what I'm doing, I need the church to help me. I need the church leadership to help. So then we get to step four. Step four is go to the person with church discipline. And your job really is to pray while the leadership of the church is taking care of some business, right? And in, at Big Valley Grace Community Church, we handle that in our pastoral team and our board of elders team. It says if he refuses to listen even to the church. So you went to the person directly, that didn't work. So that's part of the story, right? We've all experienced that kind of thing. Or maybe you had step two and you had a couple believers, but it didn't work, so that was another step. We got another option here. You're gonna get the church leadership involved, but even if that didn't work, even after you know, going to the leadership of the church, that, man, that didn't work either. If he refuses to listen even to the church, the next three words are super strong. These are super strong words from Jesus. Hear them clearly. Let him be. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be. What does that mean? Well, you went to the person on their own, one-on-one, -on -one, and they just wanna pursue after their sin. They didn't wanna repent, they didn't wanna restore. You went to the person with two other believers to provide, you know, every charge would be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses, and they didn't wanna repent, they just wanted to go after their sin, you know, the relationship was not restored. You went to the person with church leadership, you know, told it to the church, and the person didn't wanna repent, they didn't wanna restore a relationship, you know, they're just going headlong after their sin. They're going after the sin, they're going after the sin, they're going after the sin, and you know what happens in step four? What Jesus is saying, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let 
him be. Do you hear how strong that is? Let him be. In other words, if they want sin, let them have it. You say, well, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, I read the rest of the verse. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Those two phrases, Gentile and tax collector, mean nothing to English-speaking, 2021, citizens of the United States of America, live in California, Stanislaus County, Modesto Series, wherever. Some of you are thinking IRS right now. That's not even what this is about, okay? When they say Gentile, they're saying those people you don't associate with. You know those, that people group that you'll have nothing to do with them? Or that tax collector, the one who betrayed his own people and sold out his own people and is collecting, you know, extracting money from them to give to the Roman government. You know a third term that's often used when those two terms are used? Prostitute. You know a fourth term that's often used when those two terms are used? Sinner. He's just saying, look, if the person is just gonna refuse to repent of their sin and they want their sin so bad that it's just absolutely messing up their relationships, let him be. Do you hear how strong that is? To me, when I read those words, let him be, it's very sobering to me. The strength of those three words, let him be. If you want a case study of this to do some homework on your own, you can look at Paul's dealing with the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, Paul deals with an issue, and he uses this phrase. Listen to the strength of these words. Deliver this man to Satan. In other words, this person is going after their sin. They will not repent. Deliver this man to Satan. Does that not sound extremely strong? Now, fortunately, that's not where the case study ends, because when you go to 2 Corinthians, he's writing another letter now back to him. And in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, we can see that someone had repented Someone had repented and they had turned from their sin and they were now coming back to be in fellowship with the church and the words Paul uses to that case is turn to forgive and comfort them. You see, all of this process, it always leads restoration. That is the heart of Jesus and Jesus is not willing to give up on his body. So as it doesn't work the first time, here's a second option. Doesn't work the second time, here's a third option. Doesn't work the third time, here's a fourth option. And guess what? The fourth option is really strong and it's to bring someone back. It's to bring someone back into fellowship. It's to bring someone back because now this, this process is about grace. It is about love. It is about truth. It is about righteousness. In Matthew chapter six, when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he says, and by the way, make sure you're forgiving other people because you need to be forgiven by your father. Make sure you're forgiven other people because you need to be forgiven by your own father. Um, you know, in 2 Corinthians 7, 9, the case study, we can see Paul write a little bit more about it, you know, later in that second letter to the Corinthians. And he says this was his hope, that the grief that somebody would experience about just per pursuing their sin, that the grief they would experience and, and the lack of fellowship that they experience in the body of Christ that it would drive them, it would lead them to repentance. That that pain and that grief would lead them to repentance. Now, here's another hard moment. I said the first step, right? Go to a person. Man, we just want to avoid. That's super hard, right? I don't want to have to like look anybody in the eyes and have a real conversation, right? So, you know, I want to avoid. That's very difficult. But this last part is very difficult too. This is the church family what, you're now welcoming someone back into fellowship who sinned against you. That's difficult. 
but it's what Jesus is asking us to do. When people repent of their sin, that we would seek restoration. And it's hard, it's hard to welcome someone back into fellowship. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus, uh, (laughs) he gives us some ways to measure. Pay attention to yourselves if your brother sins, this is verse three. Rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The disciples were feeling pretty good at one point, and they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I've forgiven my brother seven times. How am I doing? He says, how about we change the math? Seven times 70. In other words, it's incalculable. You're gonna forgive this person so many times, you're gonna lose track of how many times you've forgiven them because you're gonna have a habit and a way of forgiveness. You're gonna be a people of forgiveness because we serve a God of forgiveness. You know the number I don't wanna see? I don't wanna see the number of how many times God's had to forgive me. Seven times 70 seems like a good number to shoot for. (laughs) That's sobering, right? Well, may I not be arrogant and may I not be so rude and so proud before the exalted king of heaven that I would not allow for others to have the same grace of forgiveness that he has lavished on me over and over and over and over again. Jesus is so interested that we would be healthy together. So this leads us to a great question. Does the leadership of the church have authority to do this, this step four? And the short answer is yes, because Jesus is the head of the church and Jesus is the one saying it. So in verses 18 through 20, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth, binding is a term of enslavement. So in being, these folks who are enslaved in sin shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, so loosing is a term of freedom, freedom from sin. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So heaven and earth here are being used as the realm of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God in heaven and the kingdom of God operating on earth. Again, I say to you, if two or three agree on earth about anything they ask, so this is about corporate prayer which is why every one of these steps, the tagline that I gave for you was pray. Step one, go to the person and pray. Step two, go to the person with another believer and pray. Step three, go to the person with church leadership and pray. Step four, go to the, church, the person with church discipline and pray. We just pray, we pray, we pray, we pray, and we pray all the way through these processes. Pray, we go to corporate prayer. Believers coming together in corporate prayer asking for it to be done by our Father in heaven who answers prayer. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. When two or three are gathered, the body of Christ is gathered. So when the body of Christ is gathered, Jesus Christ is present because Jesus Christ is the head of the body and the body of Christ is never decapitated. So when the body of Christ is together, Jesus is always present because the head is present. The head is always connected to the body. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. It's really great. So what's the, what's the ultimate goal? 
What's the ultimate goal in restoring relationships? I'm going to invite the team to come out. They're going to lead us in one last song and singing worship to Jesus. But what's the ultimate goal? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 through 21 says this. Remember, this is from our case study. You can go back and you can look at Paul's work with the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 through 21. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. We represent a sovereign nation, a sovereign God, a sovereign king. We're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. The sovereign spirit of God is in our lives. And God is working in and through our lives. God's making his appeal through us. We implore you. That's like an earnest plea. That's like begging somebody. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Be reconciled to God. We need to remember we were enemies of God when God chose to restore relationship with us. So I don't know what category you put in, you know, the people that you're having trouble with. But I know what category I was in when God came after me. Enemy. Lost enemy. Desperate need of salvation and rescue. That's the category I was in. And God came after me and he rescued me and he restored relationship with me when I had done nothing to deserve it. He's a great example for us when we think about how we're gonna deal with one another as the body of Christ. So what's the goal? The goal is righteousness. Righteousness in us and righteousness in our relationships. Paul, when he is speaking before the government in Acts chapter 24, verse 16, he says, I try to at all times, I take pains at all times that I would have a clear conscience with God and I would have a clear conscience with man that I would have righteousness in my relationship with God and I would have righteousness in my relationship with other people. And so we can see in this story that Jesus unfolds with these four stages of the story that they impact us all. This story, this is all our story. We're all, this story is all of ours together. He said, man, I'm not giving up. If one doesn't work, I'm gonna go to number two. If that doesn't work, we're gonna go to number three. If that doesn't work, we're gonna go to number four. And sin will have its natural consequences in somebody's life that'll draw them to the grace that they need in me. This is about restoring relationships. So I'm gonna ask you, I'd like to pray for you. If you have a relationship that needs reconciliation, I'd like to pray for you. And I would just ask, if you have a relationship that needs reconciliation, would you be so bold as to stand right now that I might have the privilege of praying for you? I would love to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, thank you. You got a relationship that needs restoration. We wanna go before God and ask for his help. We wanna do what the passage says in corporate prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, as I look around this room, I see brothers and sisters standing. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And they're acknowledging before God Almighty, the sovereign king of the universe, that they have rest restoration that's needed in relationships in their life. And so God, we're coming before you, the head of the body, and we're asking for help. Lord, would you bring health? Would you bring healing? God, would you help us? Lord, help us in the way we handle ourselves would be full of grace, would be full of truth, full of love, full of mercy, full of forgiveness as we're dealing with relationships that need restoration. And so we stand publicly before the church family and we ask for God Almighty to help us that we might glorify you in our lives that we might live in righteousness before you and in righteousness with other people. And so we're asking for your help and we ask for this help in the name of Jesus Christ, who's the head of the body. He is our Lord and he is our savior and all God's family said.
Amen. Let's all stand together as we continue to worship Jesus.